Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. We looked at Colossians chapter 1, and we are going to be going through Colossians verse by verse, line by line, word by word. Um, And uh, we calculated there are 95 verses in the book of Colossians, and I got through eight last Sunday. So at this rate, we should be here about three months. Uh, (laughs) That's not a joke, actually. That's that's actual. That's math, man. (laughs) I was homeschooled, but I got, I mean, I got to figure that one out. Um, you know, I mean, goodness. Anyway, uh, we're going, we're going through, and and really, it might take even longer. I, I'm not saying it's, we're going to have Christmas in Colossians, but I, I I do feel the need to just work through this book as slowly as we need to to truly absorb what the Holy Spirit is saying through His Word. And this is the Word of God. This is um, the Bible. This was a letter written by uh, the Apostle Paul to a church in Colossians, but it's also inspired or breathed by the Holy Spirit. It's God breathed. So it is applicable. It's an eternal. It's an eternal word, not just um, to those people in that day, but it's also applicable to us in 2019 here in Austin, Texas. And so um, we're going to be working through this book, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to jump into it. I, let's go ahead and start where we left off last week in verse nine, chapter one, verse nine of Colossians says this. Paul says, "For this reason, since the day we heard about you." We have not stopped praying for you. You just have to stop right there. (laughs) Because it's interesting. He says, for this reason. So uh, verse 9, of course, comes after verse 8. Which comes after verse 7. Which is why 6 was afraid of 7. Because 7, 8, 9. I got jokes. I got jokes. I'll be here all day. Um, well, it's important to notice that, honestly, this whole thing is a letter. So just because I'm preaching today um, doesn't mean that last week, you know, this is not connected. In fact, verse 9 is deeply connected to the previous verses because Paul says, For this reason, since the day I heard of you, I have not stopped praying for you. For what reason? Well, for the reason of the previous eight verses. And um, uh, last week I preached on those eight verses. I, I don't know how many of you were here last week, but man, we preached about the things that Paul was so excited about for this church in Colossians. And seriously, this church in Colossians is doing pretty good. They had a strong faith. They had a strong faith in God and a strong love for other people. And... They had this hope laid up for them in heaven that they were holding on to. How many of you were here last week? You were encouraged by that message. We have a hope laid up in heaven that we can hold on to that's greater than the things of this earth. Whatever, however good those things of this earth may be, this hope is even greater. This hope is more secure, more steadfast than anything that we could grab a hold to here on earth. Well, if you were encouraged by that message, it's, I'm glad that you showed up today. Because Paul has a slightly different um, statement. You know, I mean, if I had just got done talking about this church and, and how awesome it was and how their faith was so strong, their love was so evident, their hope was so secure, 
I probably wouldn't have continued my letter with the words, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Maybe it's just because I've grown up in church all my life and, and I've been in several prayer meetings, you know, where the pastor says, all right, does anyone have any prayer requests? And everybody starts looking around, you know. Just divert your eyes. Don't look at the pastor. Just, just check your phone, tie your shoes again. I don't know. Like, oh, sure, none of you have ever done that. None of you have ever been involved in a prayer. Man, no, like, like it, 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 you can have that awkward silence because the pastor is saying, okay, so anyone have any prayer requests? And, 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 and finally somebody, you know, raised their hand. I have an unspoken prayer request. I love that unspoken prayer. Well, good. I'll give an unspoken prayer for your unspoken <laughs> prayer request. There's not a big difference between unspoken and unheard. You know what I'm saying? I mean, come on, somebody. Like, I just don't want to share in front of everybody. Well, okay. Well, <laughs> the, it, it, Paul said, call for the elders of the church. Like, you're supposed to come down to the front and let everybody, so that we can, because there's no pride in the presence of God. That's not how that works. You don't, you don't, you don't bring your pride and then just, just grab the blessing. No, you, sometimes you have to lay it down and say, I am in need of this. Anyway, that's a whole anti-unspoken prayer request. If you've done unspoken prayer requests, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. There's a better way. There's a higher way. Come on, somebody. Uh, anyway, I've been in those prayer meetings where, where nobody seems to have any needs. You know, nobody seems to have any great prayer requests. And, and yet, Paul, like, if, 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 if I would think that a church really was doing pretty good, probably doesn't need a lot of prayer, it's a church in Colossians. They've been going five years. They got this strong faith. They have this great love. They have this hope laid up for them in heaven. And yet, something about those three things and the power of those got Paul to say, for this reason, man, since the day I heard about it, we have not stopped praying for you. Part of me says, Paul, stop praying for them and start praying for City Chapel because we need some help up in here. You know what I'm saying? God, like, like, come on, Paul, like, seriously? But this is, this is what's interesting to me. I, I, I think there's a direct correlation, and, I, and I've seen this in City Chapel. I've seen this in my own life. There's a direct correlation. Well, the, it's, it's important that you understand that faith, hope, and love, these three powerful eternal things, are not an end in themselves. They are a means to an end. Uh, for instance, uh, since we moved into this building here directly across the parking lot, and you've probably parked in that parking lot over there behind us in Menchaca Elementary. Um, uh, Menchaca Elementary, when we moved in here, started to get a little facelift. It started to get a little remodel. Well, no, actually, that's not true. There wasn't a facelift, not a remodel. They are building an entirely new building over there. And I know it's not a facelift. I know it's not a remodel because, because you, don't, you don't bring bulldozers in for a remodel. You bring painters in and, and, and flooring and carpet guys, you know, and sheetrock guys. But they're not just getting a facelift. They are building an entire new elementary school right next to the old one. And I think then they're going to knock down the old one. But, I mean, this, this thing is, they're bringing in massive bits of steel. There's a, like a crane thing over there. I don't know all the necessary details, but I see big wheels and large things. And I'm like, they're not like, they're not messing around. They're not going to like put new paint on the walls. They are constructing something. And so you can often, there's a correlation between what God is about to do in your life 
and what God is putting in your life right now. In other words, God doesn't, God, my, my pastor in Michigan used to say, God doesn't put battleships in mud puddles. He doesn't give machine guns to toddlers and he doesn't put battleships in mud puddles. In other words, if God's building a battleship out of your life, it's not because he wants to stick you in the same mud puddle that you've been swimming around in all of your life. God's about to do something. And Paul says, I see this church and I see these powerful things of faith, hope, and love. I see all this stuff working together, man. We need to pray for that church because God's about to build something that the kingdom of hell won't be able to prevail against, but the kingdom of hell will try to prevail against and so Paul said man I see what God's doing in you and that fires me up to pray for you because that means you are about to step into some stuff that if God's doing more in your life now than he's ever done that's because you're about to step into more in your life than you've ever stepped into you're about to get into a bigger fight than you've ever been in and so if you're deeply encouraged by this, well, that's, that's good and all, but don't, don't believe that it's easy, smooth sailing from here on. When God brings bulldozers in, and this is true in a church too. Like I look around City Chapel and I say, man, the, the, the kinds of people that God is bringing in, these are not painter kinds of people. They're people that can carry some stuff. They're people that can do some heavy lifting in the spirit. They're people who can build some stuff. And when God starts bringing builders, it's because he's not at the decor level just yet. He's at the building phase. And it's a totally different kind of person. And so I see God bringing some builders around here. And it encourages me and it fires me up. But it also lets me know the gates of hell are going to be coming up against whatever God builds to test the foundation of this thing. Touch somebody next to you tell them, you're not here by accident. God's bringing some bulldozers and cranes and, and heavy lifters around here. And, and, and even in your own life, even in your own life, when God gets doing some deep stuff in you, it's because you're about to face some deep stuff. It's because you're going you're gonna to get some headwind. It's because you're going to encounter some enemies. It's because you're a, it will be tested. And so, I mean, by all means, be encouraged, but, but you might want to know that whenever the bulldozers start rolling in, the, the painters start rolling out. So you might have some painters leave your life. You know, people that were just there for the decor, people that wanted something that was already established and they were just there to put their little accent on it. They might not, they might not be ready for the building process you're about to go through. And it's okay. Let, let the decor people go. You need some heavy lifters around you. You need some people who, can, who know how to use a drill. You know what I'm saying? Some people who know how to use a shovel. Some people who poured some concrete, something a little heavier. And I'm not knocking painters. If there's any painters in the house today, Jesus loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. Um, and there's a place for painters. There's a place for those folks in your life. There's a place for those, those casual acquaintances. It's just it's fun to hang around. There's a place for that, but not during a building season. They start looking around and, well, this, this isn't, I, I, these, these people under construction. <laughs> And when a church is under construction, when a, when, a, when a person is under construction, and when a city is under construction, you can tell it by the stuff that's pulling up at the construction zone. Man, this is deep. If you, you just you got to grab a hold of that. Sometimes. I, I know I'm just a few words in, but this is serious because Paul has just got done listing this amazing stuff about them. And then he said, man, I haven't stopped praying for you. Night and day, I'm praying for you. 
And so let's look at what Paul's prayer is. Today we're going to look at Paul's prayer. And then next week we're actually going to start into the teaching of Colossians chapter 1. But Paul's prayer is this. He said, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge. That's key. That's really key. We're going to come back to that. But that, that is so key. It's key to his prayer. It's also key to the entire book of Colossians. He's setting up, and this is what Paul does, why I love Paul, because he, he builds precept upon precept, line upon line. He's, this is the first mention of that word, which is going to be sprinkled throughout the entire book, and it's for a reason. We'll get into that. But he says, my prayer is that we, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge specifically of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. And please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Every good work, that means good employment. So whatever your job is, you don't have to be a pastor or a preacher, an evangelist. Whatever your job is, you ought to be living a life pleasing of the, to the Lord in every way, bearing fruit in your job. Whatever your job is, that, that job ought to bring fruit uh, good fruit ought to come from that. Growing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power, I like that, according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you. <laughs> I'm qualified. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. I need to read that one again. Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's awesome. Would you turn to somebody next to you and just tell them my sermon title? And it's real simple. It's just that I am qualified. I am qualified for where I am, for what I'm facing, for what I'm going through. I am qualified. I am qualified. Sometimes you just have to tell yourself that. You have to look in the mirror. You know what I'm saying? And say, I am qualified for where I am. I am qualified for what I'm facing. I am qualified for who I'm raising. I am qualified. <laughs> I am qualified for who I'm married to. I am qualified. I'm qualified for, for what I'm pastoring. I'm qualified for what I'm leading. I'm qualified for what I'm starting. I'm qualified for what I'm finishing. I'm qualified for what I'm suffering. I'm qualified for what I'm going through. I'm qualified for the burden that has been placed on my back. I am qualified. I am equipped. I am prepared. I am ready. I, this is my season. This is my time. I'm not walking into this unprepared. I have inside of me what I need to face what is in front of me. I am qualified. Father, we thank you for your word, and we just ask for you to open our eyes, open our hearts, open the, the eyes of our hearts to see the ears of our hearts, to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying in 2019, God. As we read your word, apply it to our lives. Allow us, God, to see what qualifies us, how you qualify an individual, how you qualify a church, how you qualify a nation, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Let's go back to, um, to that verse earlier in the passage. I, I want to walk back through this slowly. Paul says in verse 9, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. So I want to talk to you today about how we are being qualified, how God qualifies people. Um, some of the statements I just made about being qualified, it, it, it's, it's, it's encouraging, but I got some backing behind that. I'm not just spouting out um, encouraging thoughts. Uh, I, there's, 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 there's some conclusions that I've reached, and it hasn't happened overnight either. It, it, didn't, it, didn't, it, didn't, it didn't just evolve. This, this thing, this, this, thing that, uh, this, this qualification that the Father, that God does in us and for us and through us, it takes some time. There's a bit of a process, which is why the word qualified is toward the end of Paul's prayer. As he's building his prayer, he is laying the building blocks for this qualification as he begins to speak to uh, the, this church. And the first thing he prays for is really the largest thing, and it is that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. And now, in order to really understand why Paul mentions knowledge here and actually toward the end of this prayer and throughout the book of Colossians, you have to understand why Paul's writing this letter. Now, this is inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it's also, um, it's, it, it also happened within the context of a real-life situation. And the real-life situation is, as Paul references, I think it's in verse 7, he talks about Epaphras. And how Epaphras was his dear fellow servant. Um, later on he talks about how Epaphras was in prison with him. And so it seems most scholars believe that Epaphras is the pastor of the, of the church in Colosh. Uh, that he started the church about five years prior to this. And that he, he had become a Christian through the teachings of Paul. And that while Paul was in prison in Rome, that Epaphras traveled to Rome and met with Paul in order to encourage him. To say, man, you, you, you spoke into my life, and now this is some of the fruit that's coming out of that. You know, we started this church, it's not very big, but man, we've been growing in faith, in love, and hope. And so, uh, Paul is encouraged by the church that he never met, based on the testimony of Epaphras, who he did meet. Now, uh, Epaphras shared the good news, and then he also shared the bad news. Uh, there was good news and bad news. The, the good news was that this church was doing well. The bad news was that Epaphras was encountering an issue within his church that was over his head. Uh, he, was, he, was, he was encountering an issue he couldn't deal with on his own. So he was approaching Paul saying, could you help us deal with this issue? And the issue that he was dealing with was, was heresy or false teaching, false doctrine. Now, I know many of us in the U.S., we think, oh, well, that's not really a big deal. No, it is a big deal. It's a very big deal because if you don't know who Jesus is, if you get Jesus wrong, if you start wrong, you, it splinters and it just delineates from there. So your doctrine comes from your theology. It flows from it. And so the enemy knows this. And so at the very early stages of the church, he was, he was trying to infiltrate the church with these false doctrines that would get people to put their faith in other stuff. And if you move your faith over, then you lose all of your power, you lose all of your hope, and you lose all of your love. And so the enemy began to infiltrate the church with, uh, with, with another gospel, so to speak. Uh, another teaching about Jesus that was very similar to the teaching of the apostles, but it was different in some really key ways. Um, this has become known as uh, Gnosticism. 
And so I've asked him to put the word up there on the screen so that you can see the spelling of Gnosticism. is G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M. Um, it's from the, word, from the Greek word gnosis, uh, which is G-N-O-S-I-S, uh, which, which is what the Gnostics were all about. They firmly believed in this thing called gnosis. Gnosis is the word for knowledge. It's very similar to the word that Paul mentions here. Um, gnosis means knowledge. It means to know something. And the Gnostics came into the church and they believed in Jesus, that Jesus was a savior of sorts, um, but primarily that Jesus was a good teacher. And that his good teaching opened up the door for greater gnosis or greater knowledge for you and me. And that as we receive this greater knowledge, also they would call the knowledge light, <laughs> which Jesus talked a lot about light. And Jesus is not against knowledge. Right? And a lot of his teachings do bring gnosis. They bring knowledge. Well, they said, okay, so this is, but the, the, the key is though, they said salvation would come as an individual had greater and greater gnosis. This dawning, this revelation would come upon them. And what they would begin to know is the divine spark inside of them. You can see how the faith of an individual can move off of the shed blood of Jesus the finished work of Calvary, and move on to their own self-discovery. That Jesus came to get us to know ourselves better. And this teaching, though, was very popular in the early church because it sounded so similar to what the apostles were teaching, the kingdom of light. Paul just talked about that. The, the knowledge of God, well, Paul just talked about that. It sounded so similar, and yet it was, it was just tweaked a little bit. And when you tweak it a little bit in the, in the, at the foundation, the whole, you get the leaning tower of Pisa, you know, it's just the whole thing just kind of goes off. And so much of the early church, in fact, many letters in the New Testament are written against Gnosticism. First John, Second uh, John, Third John are also written against this, this form of teaching. Because, what, well, what happened is it spread into all kinds of other things. For instance, the Gnostics believed that all flesh was evil. All matter actually was evil. Um, that everything, that you could never be holy here on earth because you're living in a body. And so, honestly, why bother trying? Rules and regulations were for those who were too religious. And so let's throw off all restraint. And let's, let's let, I, I think, um, Paul, Paul quotes them in, 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 in one of his letters. That the, the grace of God is, is basically a license for us to do, for us to indulge. Because the more we indulge, the more grace we get. And that's, 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 that's uh, I think Paul talks about that in Romans. And that's, uh, that's a Gnostic idea. In fact, there are many Gnostic Gospels. You might have heard of them that were rejected by the early church. Um, the Gospel of Judas, for example. Um, they found remnants of the Gospel of Judas. That's a Gnostic Gospel. It was rejected by the early church because it espoused this, these Gnostic teachings. And um, actually in the Gospel of Judas, Judas is the good guy. I mean, he's not, but he is. Like him and Jesus had this, had this gnosis, this knowledge that, that Judas' sin was going to actually help Jesus get to the cross. Uh, if you're not familiar with the story, Judas betrays Jesus and Jesus is crucified. Um, in the actual Gospels, that's not a good thing, betraying the Son of God. This isn't usually, uh, this is frowned upon uh, in certain circles. Uh, but, but in the Gnostic Gospel, Judas's sin actually prepared the way for Jesus to save the world. And so actually Judas... In his sin, 
did this great thing for God. And so it's interesting how the Gnostics said they, 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 they took a reality that God did in fact use what the enemy intended for evil. But they took, a, they, they took that and they said, okay, so now we can just be whatever we, we can be our true selves. Just do what you want to do and then God will use it and blah, blah, blah. The key though was knowledge. So they spent a lot of time learning because that's how they thought they would transcend because all flesh is evil, all matter is evil, we have to transcend. Sounds like something you might run into in Austin, right? In 6th Street. Yeah, I mean, I need to meditate and just transcend to this higher level. I mean, it's still around. This idea that all flesh is evil is, is so, I mean, it's, it's so pervasive throughout paganism. Uh, almost every foreign religion says that flesh is just evil and suffering is just the big, the big deal. And we have to transcend this with our minds. And this is what the Gnostics were teaching. And the Christians kind of grabbed a hold of that. And Epaphras is struggling with this. And Paul writes his letter and he's praying for them. And the very first thing he's praying for, and in fact, this is, this is sort of the umbrella over the entire prayer. He said, I pray that you would be filled with gnosis with knowledge. But he doesn't say gnosis. He actually says epinosis. Paul does something that he does frequently. He invents words. <laughs> he made up a Greek word. He took gnosis and then he took epi. And epi is a preposition, a Greek preposition. And he shoved them together and he called it epinosis. He said, I'm praying that you would be filled with epinosis. What's, what's epinosis? I mean, gnosis is knowledge. Epi means to, to be above something. And, and, and when it's in the accusative case like it is here, it means to, 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 to move upward. There's a, there's a direction to this knowledge. And so Paul is actually borrowing some of the thoughts of the Gnostics in order to help display why these things are not true. And he says, he says my prayer is that you would be filled with epinosis or knowledge that is above regular earthly knowledge. Knowledge that is greater than, it's sort of just on another level than you're used to thinking. Uh, I think it was Kristen, Kristen Walmuth shared on Facebook that, that, that image of like at the nano level, those thoughts the thoughts that were forming. That was so cool. Um, uh, she, she shared that photo. And it was a, it was a video of, of, of zoomed in, tech, technologically zoomed in. So you can see these little worm-like things. I don't know the science behind it. But anyway, little, little neurons or something firing. And because and, 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 people say that you have a train of thought. And that's true. You saw all these thoughts just along this kind of well-worn path. And occasionally this little, this little worm thought would start like going upward, just into the distance, not really sure what's going on. And then another little thought over down the path a little ways would start going upward. And then you saw them sort of meet each other. And that's when you have a thought. That's when you have an idea. That's when you have a realization or it dawns on you. When these two thoughts that strayed from your regular, they, they got off the regular train <laughs> and, they, and they, they found each other and suddenly things made sense to you in a brand new way, in a brand new light. And, and, and I feel like, man, uh, th that we, we need to have some epinosis. We need to have some knowledge that's, that's off of our regular train. Uh, I think it was the, the, the National Science Foundation that said um, that we have between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts in a day. I don't know how in the world they verify that. Um, I, <laughs> sounds like a guess. But, um, 
you know, 12 to 60 based on, I don't know, but, you know, 12 to 60,000 thoughts a day. And then they also are quoted to have said that, uh, let's see, 95% of those thoughts are repetitive. They are along that train, 95%. And 80% of those repetitive thoughts are negative, which means... And you probably don't need the National Science Foundation to tell you this, which means you keep replaying the negative things over and over and over and over and over. The same negative stuff you thought yesterday, you also are thinking today. And that's because it's along this certain train. And God, I think God wants to draw some of those neurons, some of those little worm thoughts to a higher level. Like, like when, 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 when he says epinosis, he means I want you to get God's perspective on your situation. God wants to lift you so that you don't think the way you always thought so that you're not doing life and doing business and doing schooling the way you always did. Instead, you have a higher elevated perspective. You have this new thought. You have something that is taking you higher. Some of you are like, yeah, I don't know how to do that. Well, let me tell you, when you get tired of the same loop, Maybe you're not there yet, but when you get tired of the same loop, when you get tired of the, of, of the negativity on repeat, when you get tired of that track going over, playing over and over and over, when you get, when you, when you get old enough, maybe I'm 39, maybe you got to get to that level. You got to get old like me, but uh, sorry, Poppy, but whenever you get, like when you've, when you, when you've lived enough, man, after a while, it's like, this isn't working for me. This isn't producing what I want in my life. This is because, because the way that you, the way, the way that you look on things affects the way that you live in things. And so, and so your constant, your, your behavior is constantly reflecting those little, little neurons in your head that are along the same train. And this is why you keep getting the same results. You keep having, running into the same issues and the same addictions and the same, the same consequences for the same decisions that you made when you were 19 years old. God wants to take you higher. I really believe he does. <laughs> I just, just had that thought. To a place where blind men see. Anyway, I just, you, you see an amp, you say higher. It's just, I'm from the 90s. That's what you got to do. <laughs> just getting it. Nice. But he says, he says, I want, I want God to fill you with epinosis, this higher level, next level thinking, but not next level thinking just about you, next level thinking of his will. And that's so key because the, the Gnostics basically were all about self-improvement. And God is about something different. Not that you won't be improved, as you seek his will. But God is about his will. And when I say God's will, for those of us that grew up in the church, um, I, I need to explain something to you. God's will is whatever God wants in any given situation. Oh, that's deep. No, that's not deep. That's English. That's just, that's 101. The problem is, though, we have so Gnostified that, I just made up a word. We have so Gnostified God's will that we've, we've put it out as this thing that is this mystical, unreachable, out there. If you just do enough good things and pray enough and meditate and hum, 
It will, you will get this gnosis, you will get this knowledge of God's will. Uh, we have this idea, this gnosis idea of God's will, that it's this thing way out there, but it's not. It's just what God wants. And so you say, well, how do I find God's will? Well, find God. Get to know God. Lean into God. Answer when he calls you. Not when random people, but when he calls you, like talk to him. Get to know him. Spend time with him. That's how you figure out what he wants in any given situation. And, and oh, oh, the other thing is be ready to do what he wants in any given situation. Because he has a way of kind of not telling you if he knows you're not going to do it. And that's not because he's mean. That's because he's merciful. One time in scripture, he told somebody to do something that he knew they wouldn't do it. The guy named Pharaoh. He said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no way. And God knew that. God told Moses beforehand, Pharaoh's going to say no. That's, that's called judgment. When God tells you what he wants you to do and he knows you won't do it. Later on, God described it. He said, I hardened Pharaoh's heart. It doesn't mean that he went into Pharaoh's heart and made it hard. It means that he noticed that the knot was already looped around. And all he had to do was pull on it. And so in his mercy, when you're knotted up inside and not ready to be obedient to him, in his mercy, he doesn't pull on that. Because it just tightens the knot. It just solidifies your rebellion. So that's why it's so key that your answer is yes before you hear what he has to say. Because if your answer is, well, we'll see. If your answer is, I already know what I really want to do and I'm just trying to get permission. He oftentimes won't speak to you about that. In his mercy. Because if he did, it would tighten the knot and you would be dead set against him. Because he knows, he, he knows our hearts. And so, and so that's why a condition of the heart is a prerequisite. And, 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 and Paul kind of talks about that actually, as he says, I want you to be filled with, with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding. By the way, wisdom is, interestingly enough, to the Gnostics, wisdom was a bad thing. Wisdom was a, a spirit girl who, who created mankind. Um, and she was, she was off a little bit, and that's why all of mankind is off a little bit. So, the, of course, it's a lady, naturally. It's got to be. But it's those, those pagan religions. That's just, they, they're, they're anti-girls. And, 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 and the wisdom was, and, and so Paul says, no, there's a wisdom that's from above. There's a wisdom that makes sense to you and me, but no, there's a different kind of wisdom. There is a heavenly perspective wisdom. Wisdom is God seeing your situation from God's perspective. And then he said, I want you to be filled with this understanding that the Spirit gives. Uh, King James says spiritual understanding, which is probably a better translation because it, it, it means to be able to apply what you learned in the spirit realm to what you're living in the physical realm. See, if you, if, you, if, you just, if you just learn, but that, what you learn doesn't affect how you live, <laughs> you might be a Gnostic. Because <laughs> that's how they roll. Because they want to learn so much, but they don't want it to affect how they live. 
Uh, just, just tell me it's a new truth, Pastor. Encourage me. Do something up here. I don't want to do anything here, but just do something for me up here. That's gnosis. That's not. That's a worship of, of knowledge. But Paul says, man, the kind of wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives is the kind that affects your life. The way that the perspective that you look at things and what you learn from the Spirit will affect how you live and walk with the Spirit in your everyday life. And he goes on to explain that in verse 10. He says, so that you may live. I want you to fill this knowledge so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Now that word worthy of the Lord is an interesting one because when I think of worthy, I think of something that is good enough. And that's not what that word means. It doesn't mean good enough. Actually qualified means good enough. (laughs) It's interestingly enough. Worthy, in, in, in the original language, this word means congruent. He says, so that you may live a life that is congruent with the Lord. That we hear about Jesus and his life, and then we look at you and your life, and they fit. They're congruent. They're saying the same thing. They're agreeing. You, you, you don't read about Jesus and then meet you and go, oh, they're different. But you read about Jesus, and then they, they meet you, and they say, oh, it's kind of like the guy I read about. It's congruent. Uh, it's connected. It's like a puzzle piece that fits. Not the kind you have to mash in and, you know, hammer down and super glue together. No, no, no. It's the kind that just fits. It's congruent. The the Lord, his life, his example. I mean, Jesus said, I'm leaving you examples so that you should walk in my steps. If you step in his footstep, it's your foot's congruent with his foot. If you're stepping in his life and if you're living in his teaching, your life is congruent. That doesn't mean that, that you are perfect entirely, you know, that you never make any mistakes, but that when... That when you make a mistake, you return back to that place of, of, to that base medium of submission to the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I didn't come to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus was obsessed with the knowledge of God's will. Not because it would make his life easier. Not because it would mean he married a beautiful woman and, and, and had perfectly behaved kids, which would also make his life easier. But because... He wanted to please God. This is the goal of life. You're either going to seek to please God or you're going to seek to please yourself, which will often look like seeking to please other people because you believe when they're happy, you'll be happy. But at some point, you got to figure out that, that, that pleasing others and pleasing yourself still doesn't satisfy. That we were created to be pleasers of God. We were created for his smile. We were created for his approval. We were created for it. Not just to hope that he approves of us or to believe some in some abstract way that he has a position of favor over us, but to feel his smile upon us. And that only happens when we are living a life that is congruent with the Lord, pleasing him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in in the knowledge, the epi, that's the same word, epinosis of God. Secondly, he says, being strengthened. So see, there's some things that this knowledge does. Paul says the knowledge that that you have ought to do a couple things. One, it ought to affect how you live. But two, it ought to strengthen you. 
He says that it strengthens us, this knowledge, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Great endurance and patience. And so I want to talk to you for a moment about how this, how this knowledge strengthens us. That, that we would have great endurance and patience. That, that word endurance, um, it's another word that, that Paul um, connected together. Uh, it means, it's, it's one word to, uh, which is to live, which I think is mene, and then hupo in front of it. So it's, it's hupo mene. Uh, to live, mene, but hupo means under. And so Paul says the whole purpose of this strength that God wants to give you is so that you might live under something. And that's interesting because I think oftentimes we think of, of strength and power as something that would, that would empower us to move beyond something or to break free of something, or to liberate ourselves from something. But Paul says the, the kind of power that, 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 that this knowledge gives you is not the kind that, that breaks you free of things. It enables you to live under the weight of the thing. Which goes back to my previous point at the beginning, that God's building something. And he's laying a foundation. And that foundation is a knowledge of his will. And on top of that foundation, he puts all kinds of weight, all kinds of pressure, all kinds of, you say, wait a minute, I don't know that I want pressure. But this is, this is what it means to follow God, that, that God puts all kinds of pressure on us. And this is the point of the endurance. This is the point of the power. The purpose of the power is so that we won't crack under pressure. So you will go through pressure in life. The question is, will you crack under pressure or will you be able to live under pressure? Because stuff is going to happen to you. Tragedy is going to strike. Uh, things are going to go wrong. Man, things are going to go wrong. <laughs> I could give you a story about my viper just this week about how things just go wrong and you plug the wrong thing and the wrong thing and next thing you know you're lighting up stuff that shouldn't be lit up and things are glowing and smoking and and you just don't want to do that stuff's going to go even with the best intentions stuff's going to go wrong you can do everything by the book you can do everything right and stuff's going to go wrong you're going to have pressure. Pressure is going to come against you. It's going to be difficult. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians, man. He says we were, we were pressed on every side. We were, we, were pre we were attacked. We were being attacked everywhere. I didn't have anybody to turn to. I didn't have anybody to look to. We were being attacked on every side, but we were, we were pressed, but we weren't crushed. Why? Because, because, because they had some strength, some power from the Holy Spirit, from the knowledge of God's will. When you know God's will in your life, when you know God's will about what church you should be at, when you know God's will about how you should be raising your kids, when you know God's will about who you should be married to, when you know God's will, it helps you withstand the pressure. 
You don't escape the pressure, but you can live under it. It can, it can weigh down on your shoulder. It can lay on you and not break you. Loss can lay on you and not break you. Poverty can lay on you and not break you. Disappointment can lay on you and not break you. Teenage years can lay on you and not break you. I wasn't even talking to the parents there. I was talking to the teenagers. I was 12 years old and I heard Dr. Dobson on the radio say, every, 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 what is it? Every adolescent has to go through this, has to go through this season of rebellion where they are testing authority and they're rebelling. And I said, what? What Bible is he reading? Show me in scripture where that is talked about, where God says, yes, yes, in fact, there will be times of rebellion. And you just go off and do it and figure out life. No. So I was 12 years old. I'm listening to Dr. Dobson on the radio. And I, I said, that's not, that, 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 that may be his experience. And I respect him. He's a smart guy and a good guy. But that's not the experience of those who have gone before me for 2,000 years. If God is able to take you through menopause, God can take you through teenage years. If God is able to take you through childbearing, God can take you through being 16 years old and having your heart broken. I believe that God can do something in you so that whatever is laid on you won't break you. It's, a, it's, it's, it's actually a fundamental concept of design. There's a guy uh, back in uh, the 20th century who invented this idea called TRIZ. I don't know if you ever heard of it. If you went to design school for conceptual design, you definitely would have studied it. T-R-I-Z, TRIZ. It stands for four Russian words that I do not remember what they are. Um, essentially, it was these, these concepts um, that uh, when you're designing something, this is how to best design it. Triz number nine, part B, is <laughs> an interesting one that when I read that, man, it just spoke to my spirit. It's not the Bible, but it's Triz number nine, part B, which says, and I'm going to butcher it because I don't have it typed out here. Essentially, it says, and it's real technical language. Essentially, it says, if you know uh, that, a, that a piece of material, building material, if you know that something is going to be under great stress, then you ought to pre-stress it. You ought to pre-stress it so that if you know when, that, that when it's in its regular use, it's going to be under a lot of stress, you ought to pre-stress it during the manufacturing process so that when it gets to the performance process, it doesn't break. This is seen in um, uh, like our, our interstate system. You have these, these huge overpasses and these massive cement uh, beams holding them up. I don't know if you've ever driven over those and thought, man, I hope, <laughs> hope one of those doesn't kind of crack or lean one way or another because this whole road is laying on this thing. Well, those, those, those concrete things are reinforced with, with pre-stressed rebar. Not your regular rebar, which is just, you know, a steel rod through it, but, but pre-stressed rebar, meaning what they do is they, they, they have this machine that clamps on the rebar on one end and clamps on the rebar on the other end, and it pulls it. it takes the metal and pulls it, creates tension, creates tension in the metal pulling it apart. I mean, this is a super powerful machine. It's pulling this metal apart. Then they pour the concrete because they want there to be a certain amount of tension in the metal when the concrete sets. 
So they pour the concrete, they leave it tensioned, and then the concrete hardens, and then they cut off the ends of the metal. And what you have is you have a concrete slab with, with metal inside of it that is pulling like this because it was pulled like that. Does that make sense? It was pulled apart. Now it is trying to pull itself in. And this is because of Triz number nine, part B, which says, if you know something's going to be under a lot of stress in its daily working condition, you ought to put it under a stress that will counteract the stress that it will face. So the pull within me is stronger than the pull against me. So when they start, when the enemy starts laying things on me and life starts laying things on me and the weight of puberty and growing up as a teenager and the weight of menopause for you ladies and the, the weight of loss and the weight of grief and the weight of, sometimes the weight of success, sometimes the weight of wealth because wealth will test your character in ways that poverty doesn't even have an opportunity to. And so the weight of opportunity the weight of temptation, the weight of the, 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 the weight of all of this laying on me, that there is, there's already this tension inside of me. Which means that God's probably going to start pulling on you. God's probably going to start doing some things that seem pretty unnecessary, that seem pretty like, well, and Lord, like this isn't even that important really. I mean, why am I going through so much stress? Why is there so much tension inside me. Well, that's because God is trying to get, to create a pull inside of you that goes back to the knowledge of God. What does God say about this situation? If you can't, if you, if, if, if you can't say man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, you're not ready to encounter the kind of stress that's going to be laid on you just yet. If you're still relying on bread and not on his word, you're going to crack. And so he sticks you sometimes in a desert with nothing but his word. He sticks you sometimes in a place with nothing but a word from God. No, no outside confirmations. No everything lining up and, oh, wow, this is definitely God's will. No, no, no. Like, I just have a word and I don't have anything else. And if you can live for 40 days in a wilderness with just a word, you might just have the kind of tension stressed inside of you that you have come to rely on that word more than you relied on all the other resources that you thought you needed before that 40 days. Which is why Paul said, I have not stopped praying for you. Because God's going to start pulling. You have the goods. You have faith, hope, and love. Now God's going to start putting it under pressure. Because there is pressure coming against you. And what qualifies you for the pressure against you is the pressure that is inside of you. That thing pulling inside of you, that thing relying on God harder than anything else. That thing that believes in your mind and in your deepest heart that God is good and that he is faithful no matter what the circumstances say, no matter what I'm going through. And it creates this place where finally he can say that you will be giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen when God just decided to say, you're qualified. No, he puts you through a process. He puts you through stress. He puts you through pressure. He puts you through a process that pulled at everything that was inside of you to see how strong, to see if it was strong enough 
to withstand the weight that was going to be laid on you. And when you've been through that process, you can say, I'm qualified. When you face that place, you can say, I'm qualified. I'm ready for what's coming against me, which is what the word qualified means. It means to have arrived. Like on a journey, I'm here. It took a while, but I'm here. I had to go through a lot, but I'm here. I, I, I learned so much on the way and more than even what I learned in my head is what I learned in my heart. And I, 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 I can't unlearn the, the steel that has been drilled into my spine. I can't undo the fortitude that has been solidified in my soul. I cannot unlearn what I learned in the wilderness. You can unlearn what you learned in the classroom. What you, what you learn from curiosity is never as powerful as what you learn from desperation. But when I'm in the wilderness, Wilderness, and when I'm when I don't have anything else, God was there for me. He was faithful to me, and I cannot unlearn a reliance on His word because I learned to live on it. And what you learn to live on, you cannot unlearn. It's not gnosis. I mean, it is. It starts as gnosis, but it works its way down to your life, and it's growing something inside of me. It's growing something I cannot deny. I can't run away from. I can't argue against. And I'm not, I'm not standing on faith because I'm trying so hard. I'm standing on faith because that's all I got to stand on. There's nothing else that I've found to stand on. This is not the best option. This is the only option. It's not one of several ways. This is the only way. Father who has qualified you, you have arrived through What's that song? Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. Tis grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. <laughs> He's qualified me. And it wasn't easy, but He qualified me to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He rescued us from the dominion of darkness brought us into the kingdom of, of the Son. <laughs> Paul's pointing to the fact that we're not just talking about kingdom of light like you heard the Gnostics talk about. This isn't just new revelation. No, this is the kingdom of a person. Jesus. <laughs> would you stand with me? And I would just like to give you an opportunity to receive that person right now. To enter into this kingdom. It starts by putting faith in the person, person of Jesus. And when you put your faith in that person and what he did for you on the cross and how he rose again from the dead in order to set you free and to liberate you from all of your sins past and all of your sins present and all the stuff you're about to face tomorrow and next week. When you put your faith in him, you are transferred. You are, you are, you are rescued from the dominion of darkness. If you're here today and you say, I don't know if I've been rescued from the dominion of darkness. I, I still have a lot of darkness in my life. This is for you. Would, we, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me? So this is a decision between you and God for you to decide. Have you been rescued? Now, the word rescue in our Bible study here today means deported. You have been deported. <laughs> It's interesting because the, 
Alexander the Great actually deported 2,000 Jews from Babylon to Kalash uh, years prior to this letter. So Paul's talking about something in their own history. They had been in bondage in Babylon until a greater authority came and deported them. He says, you can't stay here. You've got to go to this place where you'll be free. You can't stay in bondage. So if you've never been deported from the kingdom of darkness, isn't it amazing? Deported from someplace you don't even want to be. But you couldn't leave until an authority came and said, now you have to go. I'm sending you out to Colossians. I'm sending you out to freedom. I would like for you to pray with me. And in fact, all of us can just pray this prayer to, uh, says in, in agreement with others. Just go ahead and say, Dear Heavenly Father, I receive your sacrifice, the sacrifice of your son, that his blood was shed for me, that he rose again on the third day for me, and that he's coming back for me. I want to be deported from this kingdom of darkness. I want to be a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus. I submit to Jesus. I make him my Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With your eyes still closed, if you, if you prayed that prayer and meant it, would you raise your hand just so that I can see? Just encourage me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise right now for what he's doing? That's awesome.